Welcome to the My Family Coach podcast. I'm Claire and each week you'll find me interviewing a guest expert to find out more about the tricky world of child behaviour, all in handy 15 minute-ish bite-sized chunks. At the end of each episode we'll send you away with three practical tips. It's perfect for parents, carers and professionals working with children. And if this episode leaves you wanting more, you can watch, listen and read our wide range of free resources on the My Family Coach website. I'm joined today by Pookie Knightsmith. Pookie has a PhD in child mental health from the Institute of Psychiatry, King's College, London. She's the author of several books and is former chair of the Children and Young People's Mental Health Coalition. Pookie is a director at Creative Education Limited and at Pookie Knightsmith's Associates. Pookie's autistic. A late diagnosis has helped her to thrive following many years of anorexia, depression and anxiety. And today, Pookie and I are talking about supporting a distressed child at home. And this is part one of a two-part series. Enjoy. Morning, Pookie. How are you? Good morning, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. I am very good. We are very much looking forward to half term in our house. <laughs> yeah, I can I can feel that. We had a quick chat off air and um, not only are you dealing with a multitude of animals, you also have um, children to deal with. It's a lot going on, isn't it? There is a lot going on in my life right now. It's all good. It's all good. And, um, you know, parenting is the greatest joy, but it's also the biggest challenge. And I guess that's why we're here today, isn't it? (laughs) That is exactly what a great segue into what we're talking about, Pookie. So um, we're actually going to be talking about how to cope with having a distressed child or, or teen at home. I guess the idea for this topic with your expertise in particular was was thinking about how parents, carers can look after themselves when they're having difficulties at home. But let's start off with a book recommendation around this topic. Yeah, so I was thinking really carefully about what to to recommend here. And um, I'm going to recommend Thrive by Arianna Huffington. It's not a new book, but it's a really great book. And it's one that came into my life um, via Miranda Wolpert, who heads up the mental health division at the Wellcome Trust. And she gave it to me when I was an inpatient in hospital with massive burnout and uh, big issues with anorexia. And it was a pretty low point, I think it's fair to say. Um, And that Mm -hmm. book which is all about how to live well and still achieve well, but trying to get that balance right, um, just really spoke to me. I really, really loved it. And in particular, it talked about things like sleep and connection and things. I just loved it. It's a great book. I'd highly recommend it. It sounds really fascinating because I think sometimes when we're thinking about well-being, mental health, it doesn't talk about achieving well at the same time. It's all it's more about wellness, but but not about achievement as, as well. So I think that's quite an interesting take. Yeah, that's it. And I think it it was one of those that I read it at a point where I'd reached yeah kind of proper full-on burnout and one of the things that had happened in my life up till that point was I used to get praised for the things that were were probably pretty bad for me so I slept very little I worked really hard like not in a good way like really overworked um I didn't eat enough Mm. you know all these sorts of things but lots of things that were really unhealthy actually but that were praised by society um and that book helped me to kind of redress the balance there and think about things like do you know what if I nurture myself if I do take time out and do things other than work then the world's not going to end and maybe it'll feel a bit better too so yeah I I don't know it it just really helped me to recalibrate my thinking on life um that sounds really deep doesn't it but it it, it was it it was just just the right book at just the right time so yeah it's a good one I, yeah I definitely am gonna look that up because I'm yeah I'm interested in the idea that 
you know we can achieve and be well I think that's um yeah a nice a nice message um tell us a bit about your experience Puki and the topic we're talking about you've talked a little bit about personal experience yeah so I mean I so I'm a mental health educator so I have a PhD in uh child and adolescent mental health I focus largely on the mental health of young people uh in the places where they learn so I do lots of work with schools but I also do lots of work with people like social workers and nurses all sorts of people really and increasingly work with parents and carers as well I think often parents and carers are the forgotten bunch and one of my personal drives at the moment actually is to do more work with parents and carers so that's becoming a really big part of of what I do um I care about it because I am a mum um I've got a biological daughter and an adopted daughter both currently in year eight uh one of whom is autistic one of whom has um probable ADHD and definitely developmental um sort of trauma um and so my house is an interesting place they both have experienced continue to experience on and off school-based anxiety um and avoidance um so it's interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting household. So I bring both the professional and the personal. But I think, to be honest, Claire, one of the most mm. important things in terms of today's episode is I'm just muddling through. Like I'm constantly learning, constantly teaching, constantly trying to find new ways to make this work and not always getting it right. And I would not want to hold myself up as an example of getting it absolutely right all the time. But we're doing OK. My girls are amazing and I'm still here. So, you know, I think <laughs> <laughs> but I think that message is so key for, for parents, carers, professionals as well, because uh, that phrase that I heard, it's it's OK, I'm doing OK, as opposed to it's great or it's rubbish or, you know, and it's, it's OK either way, isn't it? it yeah. It's accepting that it's not going to be a straight road. Yeah, that's it. And I think one of the things that's been really important for me in terms of being better, you know, I'm a really long way from that person who was, you know, on 24 hour suicide watch in the hospital, the imminent death of anorexia and didn't yet understand much about myself and how to live. Um, I now have a very different approach to life and do accept you know, a bit more realistic expectations, I suppose. And I'm a lot kinder to myself. So the other revelation that's come along the line here is a diagnosis of autism in my 30s, which completely changed how I had to approach life and the world and everything. But a lot of what I've learned in terms of how to look after myself because I'm autistic are actually all lessons that everyone could learn from all the time anyway. Um, I just have to do them a bit more than other people. But that stuff around self-care, we all need it all the time. We do. And, and I guess thinking about parents, carers listening that might have um, a distressed child at home or maybe an anxious uh, child or teen at home. What are the what are some of the coping mechanisms that that you might use? I know it probably changes daily. What works one day doesn't work another. But what, what are some of the things that that you, you've already got in place? I mean, one of the things that I think is really important is um, it sounds so simple, but it can be hard in a busy household. Just trying to get enough sleep. That's my number one thing. Like if we've not had a sleep, enough sleep or the children haven't had enough sleep, everything is harder. Um, it's just so much harder to problem solve. It's so much harder to look after ourselves. We tend to be less emotionally regulated and things yeah. are just more challenging. So thinking about either getting more or better quality sleep is kind of number one. 
Um, next for me, because I, I think the physical underpins the mental so much here. Next for me is around activity and exercise. So I really like to make sure that I am getting out, getting active, connecting with people. I love to climb. Um, mm. I've recently taken up paragliding. Mm. I have started um running I have to be really careful with running because I get obsessive about it but I've started running back from school drop-off so I drop my daughter off at school and then I run home and it's not very far like a mile but I figure that a mile every day that runs off that anxiety is better than an intention to run five miles at the weekend and never doing it (laughs) yeah and then feeling like a failure because you've set set up this um target that's going to be tricky Um, Mm. I can really relate to all of those things I mean my partner and I've got a puppy um at the moment and I know it's not a child or or a teen but actually for me not having my usual routines of exercise actually really really affects me and we've had to do quite a lot of talking about how we can make sure that I can find the time and and actually being quite flexible with our schedules um, and not having unrealistic expectations of what we we can and can't do so I guess in essence being just a bit kinder to ourselves um, around routines and flexibility I think that's right. And I think the other thing there that you've hit the nail on the head about being a bit flexible about your routines, but just thinking about what that schedule kind of looks like to make it work for you. And I think one of the things we need to do is to put self-care into the routine first. So this is one of the things that I I personally find when we get busier, then it's always the self-care that gets put to one side. But actually, we tend to be able to manage better and be more productive if we put self-care first. And it doesn't have to be like big amounts of it. It might be, you know, 10 minutes of an evening to read your book or um, I like to schedule in time to to go and climb which takes a little bit longer but actually finding space in the diary for that and then everything else fits around it it's amazing how everything does still get done but if you think to yourself oh you know I'll fit in a climb when there's a moment there's never a moment Um, Mm -hmm. and then we just find ourselves getting a lower and lower ebb and it's yeah it's challenging so self-care first put it in the diary first um, it, it's got to be in the diary first. I think I've definitely learned that from, yeah, from, from our experiences recently. Tell me a bit more about self-care. I know it may sound like a bit of a daft question, but um, how, how would we define self-care? That's a really good question. That I've never been asked. Thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> self-care. I mean, I guess kind of what it what it says on the tin really as parents as carers we are brilliant at looking after the children in our lives even if people listening might not feel that that describes them I guarantee you're doing a brilliant job someone who cares enough to be listening to something like this you're doing a better job than you know 90% of parents and carers out there I would almost guarantee it but we're good at meeting the needs of those around us that's that's what we do all day every day what we're less good at is thinking about what are our own needs and how do we meet them so self-care is it covers a whole range of things um, from the basics of making sure mm-hmm. that we're fed as well as our children, which again, we don't always remember to no. do, like feeding ourselves well, making sure that we're looking after our physical needs, that we're getting out, we're getting some exercise, um, we are getting enough sleep. So the kind of the physical basics, but then we can go a bit deeper as well. And we can think about things like self-compassion and self-kindness, how are we speaking to ourselves, how are we speaking about ourselves? Are we being kind to ourselves? Are we actually creating space in our our lives to do the things that make us smile that make us happy that give us a bit of respite from the challenge of day to day so it's it's a big topic but it's not all kind of you know meditation and scented candles although there is a place for that for some people too 
There is. And I, I know it probably did sound like a bit of a daft question. You might not get asked it that much, but I think there is maybe a misconception and maybe a bit of sneering about what self-care is unless we delve a bit deeper into it. And I really like the phrase that you used about parents, carers, ourselves getting our needs met. And that, you know, essentially is completely self-caring isn't it that we're actually making sure that we have those basic things that we need to be able to be stable enough and happy enough uh, to be able to support a, a distressed child and yeah that phrase is so important getting our needs met at the same time that's it because we are parenting and caring for other people in our lives but there's not necessarily anyone in our lives who's going to do that for us I mean some of us are lucky enough to have understanding partners or other people in our lives who might help some but really the buck stops with us so we need to think about how to do that but the other thing is that might help for those people who say I don't have time for this I'm so busy looking after my child and making it all kind of work but actually when we do look after ourselves well we're being brilliant role models to our children because one day the buck will stop with them at the minute they're in our care but one day they're going to be responsible for themselves we won't always be there right by their side in their home with them to make sure that those needs are met and when we show them this is how I look after myself then we show them a sort of template for doing that for themselves later on too. That's really interesting. So by looking after ourselves, we're role modeling how we can encourage our children, teens to be able to look after themselves. That's re that's really powerful to dis display it and, and say it like that. Because as I said, I have heard quite a few times, it, more so maybe from professionals, but who will be parents carers as well, when you know they talk about schools putting on you know self-care activities it's like a hand massage or you know learning about meditation and and practitioners can get really irate really angry about it because maybe there's sometimes a misconception about what what that self-care is yeah and I've certainly worked with plenty of schools where they've been planning this kind of thing and it's a it comes from exactly the right place and for some people it's really helpful but I've often kind of gently said do you think maybe that half hour might be better spent allowing them to go home and spend a bit of extra time with their families or a bit of extra time to get their marking done so they can have a bit more sleep or whatever um it, yeah we all need different things I think the other thing to acknowledge from the sort of role modeling point of view is that when we look after ourselves and we do for ourselves as we would do for our child it also stops us being a massive hypocrite because the other thing particularly when we're thinking about teens they're pretty savvy and if we're saying to them oh you need to be making sure that you're getting plenty of sleep and then we're up all night because we're working really late or I don't know on social media or what have you that doesn't go unnoticed um, and I've often found that the things that have most helped me have been when I'm trying not to be a hypocrite to my children and so I do for myself what I've suggested for them and it's always had a really positive impact so an example would be um, phones phone usage in our house like any house with uh, my my kids are not quite teenagers yet but approaching teens they want to be on their screens all the time and so we made a decision as a family that there was going to be a kind of cutoff point in the evening Ellie is the phone police in our house and she puts all the phones to bed um, and they charge in a different room than where we sleep 
And we all do this because it seemed really unfair to ask the children to do it without us doing it. And it's been amazing. Um, it, it means that we're all much more ready for sleep. It means that we have a little bit of time in the evening when we might connect with each other and we're kind of winding down. We're no longer kind of half involved in conversations on social media. But the key thing it's given me is just A, just more sleep because I'm no longer scrolling in bed for hours when I should be asleep. But B, I get so much more reading done. I love to read. I'm an avid reader. And that time when I would have been just wasting on my phone, I'm now just reading it old-fashioned book from the library Claire it's like right traditional I know it smells lovely as well it does does. it's such a sensory experience because we're so used to reading on our phones yeah Um, if I read a book it's it's literally like a sleeping tablet I I read for about 10 minutes and then I'm um fast it's actually really really powerful but I suppose having routines like that that are centered around not only our own self-care but the self-care of our children teens is it's yeah such a shared experience and we're not then being that that hypocrite that's you know putting in a boundary or a change and then not able to do it ourselves I think that that's really powerful that was part one of a two-part series with Pookie Knightsmith tune in next week to hear the final part you've been listening to the my family coach podcast thank you for joining us as we lift the lid on the challenging world of child behavior Remember to subscribe to listen to all our episodes and there's heaps more helpful support for all your parenting needs on the My Family Coach website. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.